Well, according to church growth experts, the most popular sermon titles coming from American pulpits cover topics like relationships, love, politics, uh, how to be in God's will, and those things that are practical, not theoretical. This morning, we are going to be talking about, and from a passage of Scripture that emphasizes relationships, love, politics, God's will, and things that are practical. So I'm looking forward to lots of likes, shares, and retweets. I'm looking forward to being popular. I'm also quite sarcastic, (laughs) which isn't always helpful, but I'm a realist, and I know that even though we're going to be talking about those topics from the New Testament, even though our passage is going to cover each of those topics in a great way, as soon as we read the first word from our passage in the New Testament, all popularity will be gone. Maybe not all, but when it comes to church growth tactics. Because the first word from our New Testament passage is the word, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, submission. And if there's one word we don't want to hear from American pulpits, it's the S word. Christians tend to have a great aversion to the S word, to the concept and notion of submission. But we're going to see this morning that it's very practical. It has to do with relationships. It has to do with politics. It has to do with God's will. It has to do with love. It's actually a very important thing. In fact, it's very hard to live the Christian life apart from submission. So if you have a Bible, I'll invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter So, New Testament book of 1 Peter toward the end of the Bible, and we're going to be in chapter 2 this morning, learning about this very, very important matter. It was years ago, as you're turning there, years ago, someone told me about a church that hired a consulting firm, a church growth consulting firm, and paid them thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars, and among various topics that should never be covered, you might guess what one topic that should never be covered was on the list, and it's our topic this morning. So, I probably won't be writing any books about church growth anytime soon. Maybe church depth, maybe Christian living, but not church growth. So here's what's happening in 1 Peter. So if you're just joining us, awesome, you're welcome, I'll bring you up to speed. In chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, who's an apostle of Jesus, that means he represents Jesus, that means he speaks with the authority of Jesus, he refers to suffering Christians... And he refers to them in a way that borrows from the Old Testament when Israel was away from where they wanted to be. They weren't in Jerusalem. They weren't where the temple was, where sacrifice happens, where ultimate worship happens, where the unique dwelling of God happens. They wanted to be in Jerusalem, but they were exiled, okay, under Egyptian exile, let's say. They wanted to be in Jerusalem. They weren't, so they were referred to oftentimes as exiles or strangers or aliens. 
And so Peter borrows all of that kind of imagery, writing to Christians who are being persecuted, who are longing to be in the new Jerusalem. But in the meantime, they're suffering here on earth through all different kinds of sufferings. Just like we suffer through all different kinds of sufferings at different times in different eras. So he refers to them in chapter 1, verse 1. We keep coming back to this because it's kind of the key to the book. He refers to them in chapter 1, verse 1 as elect exiles. Elect exiles. Elect, you're chosen by God and you have all the blessings and benefits from trusting in Christ, eternal life, promised resurrection, promised heaven, promised glorification, all of these wonderful things. You've been adopted into God's family. You've been forgiven. You've been accepted by God. You've been set free from your sin and its tyranny. Elect, shorthand. We've been learning about that a lot in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. But then he also tempers that, right? Exile. In the here and now, you're not at home. You shouldn't feel at home because you're not at home. Thus the rub, the persecution, the suffering, the sickness, and all the bad stuff that we don't like. So it's this reminder, you're elect, but you're in exile. This isn't heaven. Heaven is yours. Here's how you should live and do God's will. So hopefully that helps you to bring yourself up to speed just a little bit. It's very, very practical for us. Let's read verses 13 to 17 of chapter 2, which is our text for this morning. Take a breath. So much to cover. So many things. This is exciting. This is practical. Let's, take a, let's read and then take a closer look. Beginning in verse 13, 1 Peter chapter 2. Be subject, or some of your translations say submit, For the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. If you're taking notes this morning, two sections. We're going to cover 13 and 14, deals with what we're supposed to do. I'm calling it the exhortation, the command, the challenge. Christians, here's how you're supposed to live your life. That's our first two verses. And then the remaining verses offer an explanation. In fact, it offers an explanation, kind of the why, why should I do this? It offers an explanation and then it gives us explanation of the explanation. So if you're the kind of question person that que- if you're the kind of question that asks person, you're confused and shouldn't be a public speaker. <laughs> if you're the kind of person who at, likes to ask questions, Peter's your kind of Bible teacher, uh, and I'll try to be your kind of Bible teacher today too. But again, remember this is designed for people who are struggling, suffering, longing for the promised land but it's not theirs yet. And there's no reason why that shouldn't apply to every single person in this room if you're a Christian. How do I cope? How do I deal with this? How do I do God's will in the here and now? So first the exhortation comes in 13 and 14. We're going to take a closer look now where he says, the leading command, the leading imperative, be subject or submit. 
What does submit mean? To submit, sometimes it's translated obey. I like submit better. Submit, uh, literally it would be to align yourself under someone else. But the, the idea is straightforward to us. To submit to someone is to put yourself under their what? Under their authority, under their leadership. Um, you may be equals, but you have different roles. Okay, And so here Christians are called to align themselves under someone else's charge under their authority under their leadership and and peter's going to use this in the governmental realm and in this realm but he's also going to use it in the family realm he's going to use it in general christian realm he's going to use it in different ways this is just the first time he's using it so we have a certain role as christians living in the here and now and we're called to be submitters hard to be a christian if you don't have submission So here he says, be subject. Be subject, notice, he says, for the Lord's sake. So this this could be, in the sense, this is for the Lord's sake because this is what he's telling you to do. And if you think, well, that's not what the Lord's telling me to do, it's what Peter's telling me to do, you need to go back to Sunday school class and learn that if he writes as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he speaks, it's as if the Lord speaks. That's what an apostle is. That's why apostles are so special. That's why we don't have apostles now, because no one can speak with the authority of the Lord, because they weren't with Him, and you had, to be, you had to see Him resurrected to be qualified to be one of them. Unique group, very unique. Submit. Submit to governing authorities, He's going to say, for the Lord's sake, because the Lord says. But you could also look at it the other way, for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's honor, for the Lord's glory. For the Lord's magnification, you belong to Christ, you represent Him, you're an ambassador of His, you're called elect even. For the Lord's honor and glory, don't live in such a way that your life is one big, huge contradiction to God and His ways and His Son and His salvation. So we do this for the Lord's sake, I I would say because the Lord says and also because we want to honor Him. And then he, he defines what he means as far as the scope here. Look there, if you would, in verse 13. To every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. So every human institution, and he's going to talk about different human institutions later, but here he's talking about the emperor. And if you think that's an easy pill to swallow for first century Christians, you'd be mistaken. It might be hard for us to swallow, even if we don't have an emperor. We understand governing authorities. But if you're under, at this time, Nero, more than likely, for sure Peter's living during Nero's time, but exact dating when he writes the letter, it's likely Nero. This is a huge, big deal. But before we get into that, it's the general principle, okay? It comes from Daniel, it comes from Romans, it comes from Old and New Testament. God is a God of authority. God is not a God of chaos, I should start there. He's not a God of chaos, He's a God of order. And part of the way God orders things in this world, yes, even in this fallen world, is God establishes authorities. Like Daniel says, He raises up kings and He topples kings, to paraphrase. There's order in the world. There's governance in the world. And generally true, by principle, what 
do governing authorities do? They're supposed to reward those who are good citizens. Reminds me of the old 1960s Batmans, you know, when they're walking up the side of the building like this. Of course, they turn the camera and they're doing this. But they're climbing up the building and Batman and Robin are climbing up. Good morning, good citizen. Hello, good citizen. Anyway, sorry, lots of pop culture in the back of my head. Government is to reward good citizens for their submission, following the rules. And they're to punish those who break the rules, who break the laws, so that there's order. There's no such thing as a perfect government in the here and now broken world. That's why we long for the Prince of Peace and the government will rest on his shoulders. Remember, we're not in heaven now, we're exiles. But the principle's still true. God establishes governments and Christians in the here and now time, even though we know that Nero, if we're first century, is not the greatest one that we might want. We're longing for that one. We're called to submit. We're called to submit to divinely established authorities. Whew. So my sermon does qualify as relevant. Because by the way, we're not living under an emperor. But by way of principle, we can understand governing authorities. This would apply to any kind of culture in some way or another. Because we have authority established. We have governing authorities established and laws. Now, I do love what he does, though. Peter is is a masterful theologian here because when he says every human institution to the emperor as supreme in verse 13, there's, there's subtle nuance that's profound. Every human institution, emperor supreme. Do you see what he's doing? Maybe not. It's okay. I'll bring you up to speed and you'll see it. If you do, awesome. Emperors were considered deities. Emperors were to be worshipped among many other kinds of deities. And Peter is, is making one thing clear. The emperor is the supreme human authority. He's not the supreme authority. But he's willing, to, he's willing to give honor where honor is due. He's the ultimate authority in your life as the emperor of Rome. But he does have to make sure we all understand human authority. He's not who he claims to be. He's not who the pagans say he is. But nevertheless, Mr. and Mrs. Christian, and your beautiful kids, (laughs) Peter is saying, you have an obligation to submit to him because God's behind it. It's pretty wild. I'm fascinated by it. I hope you are too. I hope that's why you're here. Now let's think about Nero. In my notes, I say Nero was a piece of work, right? 
living the lavish life, but also as a total, radical, amazing, self-centered megalomaniac. And that's better or worse than an egomaniac. It's all about him. He's super insecure. All kinds of people have written about him, Christians and non-Christians. I mean, this is the guy who has his mother killed for insulting him. He's sexually immoral. His ethics are terrible. He's the one who persecutes Christians radically later on. Extra biblical writings tell us he will be the one who has Peter executed. Kind of interesting that Peter's writing this. He's the one who, according to extra biblical writings, would light up the city of Rome with human torches made up with people who believe in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. He is one bad actor. Nero is. I want to sneak in there. So, so if, if, you, if you don't like our current political climate and you think it's really hard, I, I would venture to say that those, those folks living then that he's writing to would have loved to have your circumstances. Makes me feeling, feel guilty for, for complaining. Notice what's not said. Um, you can't submit to Nero because he's not a Christian. Um, arrange to overthrow the government as anarchists. It doesn't say or imply once Nero begins following Judeo-Christian values, then you, then you should submit to him. With full apostolic authority, he says, submit to governing authorities including the emperors and those who represent him. I say may God help us to have that kind of mindset and attitude as we live here as strangers and aliens, regardless of what kind of authority we're under, whether we live here or we live in India or we live in, you name the country, different kind of governments may look different, but Christians are called to be submissive people who follow the rules. Yes, we can add a little star, a little footnote that says there comes a time when we don't follow the rules. Peter knows about that too. Let's talk about that at the end because I would rather have, this, have the gravity that it should have. May God help us to have a, a disposition and a mindset and an attitude as people uh, who belong to Christ that we would not live lives uh, and, and our attitudes and our conduct would be um, a contradiction to our professed devotion to God, our Savior, and our Lord. We, we should know how lordship works. And even though we can't bow down to Nero, so to speak, as the ultimate Lord, we understand how lordship works because we have an ultimate Lord who's been raised from the dead. And it would be a contradiction for us to act like people who don't understand lordship. And I don't mean the theological debate. You know what I'm saying? I would imagine this is, if I could work on this, I imagine you could work on it by God's grace. And then remember also, this isn't coming, out of, coming at us out of the blue. I, I wish we had time to go review. I, I listened to it on audio this morning, chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, because I want to be reminded, all of this comes to us after we're told about how awesome we have it in Christ. 
freely to us all that He's done for us. And then we sort of stand there saying, so how would you want us to act? What should we do in the meantime? Point number one, submit. <laughs> kind, of, kind of thing. Oh, okay. Because if this is all you're hearing, you're kind of like, based upon what? This is not our ultimate home. We have an ultimate Lord. But in the here and now time, because we have so much in Christ, our eternal inheritance is kept in heaven for us preserved we could do this in the here and now that's chapter one stuff just to kind of bring everybody else along I imagine Christians back then who would have a problem with this you know they would like hashtag not my emperor And Peter would have scolded them. They might not like the emperor, but he was their emperor. We're not going to take the time to go to Romans 13, but if you need to study this and think it through a little bit, Romans 13, if you, if you like Paul better and you think Peter was just a fisherman, but at least Paul had an education... Go for it. Read Romans 13. Uh, They say essentially the same thing. And if you don't like Paul because you think he was whatever, then read Peter. I mean, it's kind of the same thing. Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Read Jesus. If you don't like him, we have a special class for you. (laughs) I like talking to police officers um, for different reasons, but just to kind of, you all look like you need an illustration right about now. But I, I, I'm always looking for an opportunity to talk about the gospel, if it's a lead-in or whatever it might be. I like talking to police officers, even when we had um, police officers here um, doing security. I, I like talking to them. I remember talking to, to one of the female officers, and she was interested in the sermon. And I said, well, I'm just so thankful for police officers. I'm so thankful for you that you come and do this. And um, realize we're paying you, but uh, just when you're doing your normal job, I'm, I'm grateful. I said, you know, the Bible talks about about you really yeah in Romans chapter 13 God establishes authority punishes evildoers in fact I said the Bible says you are a minister really she said yeah servant of God a minister of God I said so I know you're not perfect I know no human being other than the Lord Jesus Christ is perfect as the God man I said but I'm thankful for what you do and I said, I know also the Bible teaches, it doesn't say this, I said, I was honest, and, uh, but the Bible teaches that that gun that you carry isn't for decoration. Because in Romans chapter 13, it says the government doesn't bear the sword for nothing. I said, so, thank you. Now, I wanted her, actually, she, she actually did ask more questions. And we talked about the gospel. It doesn't always work out. The last time I was sitting in a cruiser with a police officer, oh, I don't want to tell you about that. (laughs) I was in the front seat giving a report because I was rear-ended, just for clarity's sake. It's very odd that Christians bristle by the mere word submission. 
And it shows us that our Christianity needs a little tinkering. We need a little spiritual growth. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want you. Peter doesn't want you to say, this is heaven. Nero is awesome. No. You're a stranger in exile. This is not heaven. You're longing for the ultimate Lord. But in the here and now, act like a person who understands lords. That's all. Should we keep going? I think we should, because I've run out of material. I have one more illustration, but we're going to move on. Let's go now, now, now the second part. Now the rationale. We've learned a lot about the rationale, but now let's look, about the, uh, look at the rationale. Now the explanation and the explanation behind the explanation, that's in verses 15 and following. So verse 15 says, For this is the will of God. This is the will of God. Notice that's in the context of submitting to authorities and doing good. And he's going to go on to talk about doing good. So part of, part of being in the will of God and doing the will of God, what God wants you to do is, is, is doing good, yes, but also has to do with submitting to authority. So sometimes we think, I, we buy books on the will of God and we think, oh, it's going to be some mystical, weird kind of thing. And I'm so glad I finally got the answer to know how to do the will of God. And I'll bet I need to go on a retreat. And that'll be wonderful unless it's not. And in all the like, special, secret, mystical, oh, will of God. Well, maybe some of that other stuff is true, but here, he, he, let's, let's start with the obvious. You want to do the will of God, and every Christian does, submit to the governing rulers. And you say, that doesn't sound very spiritual. It is. It's right there. Oh, God, please help me to be in your will. Well, well, start acting like a good citizen, right? But the rationale is, this, this is the will of God for rationale. That's why I use that word. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you... Notice earlier, he talked about rewarding those who do good and punishing those who do bad. So he's still on the same topic. By doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Why is that important? Well, because there are people who are antagonistic to Christians and against Christianity who say, well, who the Bible labels as foolish and ignorant. Sadly, sometimes they they have traction because Christians act badly. But he's saying, Christian, act Christianly. And if you act Christianly, that then silences, it issues a gag order against fools and ignorant people who say Christians are terrible citizens. Right? Now, it's easy to be a terrible citizen for lots of different reasons. For, first of all, because we're not perfect. So you look at my life long enough, you go, you're not perfect. True. I mean, we, we got that against us. Until we see Christ, we won't be made like Him. But, but God is working in our lives, and we're called to live a certain way. And we can live a certain way because we've been united to Christ, and we've been set free. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we saw last time, we're seeking to live not, not lives that are a contradiction to the gospel, but a complement to the gospel. And when we live a life that is a complement to the gospel, doing good like submitting to the authorities, that's complementing the gospel, and that silences fools and ignorant people who say Christians are bad for this world. 
Think about in the first century. We don't have this problem now. But in the first century, Christians, some, by some, they were, they were considered the atheists of the culture. Weird, huh? Why would they be considered the atheists? Because they didn't think Nero was God. Not to mention all the other pantheon of gods. Everything's a god. We, in case we miss one, here's the altar to the unknown god Paul talks about in uh, uh, Acts chapter 17. Gods, 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 gods everywhere. Christians are they're atheists. They're anti-gods. <laughs> Weird. Christians are Gnostic because, you know, uh, they reach some higher plane of ethereal, however you say that weird word. Um, You can tell I'm not Gnostic. Um, You kind of reach the other level of spirituality because you had this weird mystical experience and now the physical doesn't matter because I only live on the spiritual plane. Christians get into that sort of thing. And sometimes you can see how it's easy to get into that sort of thing because you think to yourself, well, the Bible promises me that all these promises are mine in heaven, all of this future stuff. And by the way, in the here and now, things aren't very good and my life isn't very happy. So I'm putting all my eggs in the future. And in one sense, that's good and right. But Peter is giving us a corrective, turning that ship a little bit. And he's reminding us that in the here and now, you're in exile, stranger, alien, but you have responsibilities. You can't be a mystic, agnostic, ethereal, whoever those people are. Detached, go hide somewhere. Don't contribute to the culture. Don't contribute to the society, whatever it is. No. Do good as a stranger and as an exile. And you know what? What drives that is your election. You're your, your being united to Christ. You don't find ultimate significance in the here and now, but you can do the here and now. In light of the future. So I want to encourage you as a pastor. Do good. Do enough good to earn heaven? Can't happen. You should read chapter 1. All of that's because of Christ. Sinless perfection? No, read chapter 1. Read 1 John. But let's not have our lives be one glaring... Let's not have them be one glaring contradiction. It should be a compliment to the gospel. We understand Lord causes us to do good to lesser lords. <laughs> it's very sad when Christians behave so badly that they have a legitimate, they create a legitimate criticism for, for people. We'll be Christi- we will be criticized no matter what. But he's looking for traction, for good life, Christian living. We could pray for each other that, that we would live lives that complement the gospel. And pray for ourselves that, that we would be doing that. Remember, we're not going to take time to go back there, but remember in our previous passage... We, we want to do this with unbelievers because we would long for and wait for a day when they would be with us, to quote First Peter, on the day of visitation, on the day of judgment, and they would be with us glorifying our God. We want to have a good testimony and a good witness because we long for people to be saved like we're saved, saved from God's judgment. 
No doubt he's saying something similar or complimentary here. We're going to silence the foolishness and the ignorance, glorify God. Hopefully the ignorant and the foolish might lead to, 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 to knowing the truth. Not long ago I talked to, a, um, just to illustrate this negatively and positively, I, t- I was talking to a man who I wanted to talk to about Jesus because that's what Christians do. Um, I wanted to have good social skills so I didn't just stand on the table and start yelling at him. Um, but I'm looking to talk to him. And so he is from a different city and I know somebody who lives in that city and I think they might have a similar interest. And so I say, do you know so-and-so? Uh, not sure. Maybe I know him through somebody else. And it didn't really work. There wasn't the connection. I thought there might be a connection, but eventually I was thankful. He said, why do you ask? And I thought, I thought you would never ask. I said, oh, oh we, we were both, in, in the past, we were both members at the same church. You know, I'm just looking for an opportunity to talk to him about what happens at church and gospel and um, didn't go anywhere. And something happened and we both went our separate ways. I found out the next week that the person who I was trying to make the connection with was going to jail. Terrible Christian witness. And that doesn't silence foolish and ignorant people. That just confirms in their minds that Christians are bad citizens. And we need to pray that we're not bad citizens, but that we're good citizens. Now, on the positive, I was talking to a different individual, and this person, he, he was like the biggest fan I know for a certain pro-athletic pro, uh, team, professional athletic team. And he, he wears all the stuff, all the garb, all the time, can't stop thinking, talking, breathing that team. And so I'm thinking, I want to talk to this man about the gospel, because that's what I like to do. And uh, so I, I, I said, well, I have a story about your, your team. Oh, okay, okay, you know. I said, you know, such and such a player, you know, that MVP? Oh, yeah. I said, you know, I'm not really into baseball. I don't really know that much about it. But I was speaking at a conference one time. I was the speaker. And uh, this guy came up to me, and he asked me questions about the Bible, super humble. Uh, and I said, so, so, you know, what's your name? And I said, he told me his first name only. End of conversation, as far as I was concerned, he was Joe Schmo, not MVP. And somebody else said to me, hey, do you know who that was? Or some, the story goes basically like that. I was looking for an opportunity to talk to the, my friend about the gospel, and I used a Christian behaving goodly, okay, to make up a word. Christianly, as an opportunity to say, you know, Christians behaving the right way complimenting the gospel, living a humble life, not an arrogant, look at me, I'm the MVP of the world life. That's what we want for our lives, whether we're professional athletes or not. God, help us to live a life that would complement the gospel. We don't preach ourselves, we preach Christ, but it looks like Christ is working in our lives. Peter, no doubt, is calling for that. Let's end now with verse 16 and following. Live as people who are free. 
I put all kinds of things in my margin. Free from sin, free from condemnation, free from spiritual darkness. He just talked about that. Free from finding ultimate significance in our temporal relationships or things or stuff or this earth that's going to not last anyway. Free from ultimately being exiles and strangers. We're just passing through. Free because of the truth and the truth has, truth has set us free. John chapter 8 verse 32. Live as people who are free. You're free on all kinds of levels. Live as people who are free. And then he says, not using your freedom as a cover-up, as a veil, as a, as a hiding cloak. Not using your freedom in Christ, your election, if you will, to shorthand chapter 1, verse 1. Not using that as a cover-up or a smokescreen for evil, but living as servants of God. That's, that's a great way to put it. Free in Christ, my eternal riches, if you will, because I, I belong to God as a child of God, protected in heaven for me. I'm free. But don't use that as an excuse for bad living. That's all. Then he summarizes, verse 17. Honor everyone. That's super broad, right? They, they're, they're made in God's image. I can honor everyone on some level or another. Honor everyone. That's how Christians should behave in the here and now, fallen, broken, exiled, Babylon world. Love the brotherhood. So there's a special designation for Christians that we have. And yes, we need to be told, apparently. Um, we'll talk more about that later. Fear God. We already talked about that. We're children of the judge, but we still respect the judge as one who holds the position as judge. He won't judge us because we've been made his children, but nevertheless, your dad is still, or your father is still your honor, if you will, in your living. So fear God, honor the emperor. Summarizing where he started, honor the emperor. Everything has its order, everything has its place. I'm dying to talk about Jeremiah 29. We don't have time to. We'll do it a different day because it'll fit nicely with other passages in 1 Peter. But dealing with how we live as exiled people. I did say that we would talk about when we don't obey or submit to the emperor. And we'll just close on this and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. But, but there is that time. So realize that you need to be a mature Christian, and that involves biblically nuancing things. Peter, for example, in Acts chapter 5, was told he was commanded by governing officials, if you will, at least authorities, stop preaching the gospel. And he didn't say, I have to do everything the government says. No, the very individual who under inspiration and apostolic authority is writing what we read today, kept preaching. Because that's a biblical command. It's an imperative. And he is going to honor God, the ultimate Lord, before he would, if it meant contradiction. So we, we disobey the government when they command us to do something the Bible forbids. And we disobey the government when they forbid us from doing something the Bible commands. And then we take our licks and we realize we're exiles. 
We don't belong here, and this is not our ultimate forever home. I saved it till the end because we read that into our passage too fast, and it ends up watering down what we need to hear. So more could be said and needs to be said, and we'll hear more in First Peter about this hard time that we have living in the here and now. But we can do it. And we can do it for God's honor and for His glory. And we can keep our sanity. Okay, so let's pray. Father, thank You so much for this morning. Thank You for the Lord Jesus Christ. For the fact that He loved us, the Bible says, and gave Himself up for us. Thank You that He was the ultimate good citizen. And that He did everything right and respected authority perfectly in every way necessary. And we're thankful that He even did that on our behalf as one who would represent us, the one who would gain a right standing for us. And we're grateful for him. We're grateful for the fact that not only did he do all the right things, we're thankful that he went to the cross to atone for, to to pay for uh, our rebellion and our sin. Thank you that he's been raised from the dead and thank you for the fact that he is our risen Savior. And thank you for the fact that he promised to come again And he promised to make all wrongs right. And he promised to make a forever lasting, good, profitable new heaven and new earth. Thank you that our citizenship is ultimately there and not here. But for these men and women and boys and girls who are here this morning, please help them and help me to live in the in-between time in a way that would show that we understand what it means to serve a great king, the ultimate king, even when we serve lesser rulers. In Jesus' name, amen.